everybody welcome to the 227th edition of the holy backboard podcast i am dustin here in rip city and i got my man sage chilling uh here in beaverton oregon uh ready to talk about this week that was for the portland trailblazers it was a typical blazers week there were some incredible highs and some deep valleys uh the blazers ended up going two and one which if you would have asked most fans before the trip you would say absolutely you take it, but it ended pretty flat. But let's start off with the week. Uh, back-to-back road games against OKC and New Orleans. Uh, they blew a big lead. Dame put the team on their back. Ended up coming back and beating the Thunder 115-104 the following night. Back and forth. Again, Lillard versus Zion. Dame had the bucket that counted last. 126-124 victory. Portland riding a six-game win streak at the time then comes home and just lays an absolute egg against the bottom-feeding Washington Wizards. Uh, Portland drops just a terrible game, 111-118 to the Wiz, splitting the season series at one. Altogether, still not too bad for our Blazers. 18-11, fifth in the Western Conference, and... We're really only two games back in the loss column of the Lakers for second, but we are also four games back of the Warriors for eighth. So it can swing at any given notice because the Western Conference is so tight. So you're seeing movement in the standings on a nightly basis, Sage. Uh, what did you think about the, the week that it was for the Blazers? It was a very interesting week because of all of the things that have happened, like Oklahoma City fought like cats and dogs to get it to a point where it was a game because we we really were kicking their ass until we weren't and then dame had to come in and oklahoma city has done really has been a very weird team in terms of trying hard then losing in really devastating ways the pelicans game was very weird because it's one of those know your personnel type of games you gotta let the Pelicans shoot. You got to let Zion, you got to let Eric Bledsoe shoot and they happen to make them. That's the bet you make when you play the Pelicans is compress the, the paint and let those two shoot. And they shot well. And, you know, regression happened in the third and fourth. And I think the Pelicans missed a lot of easy shots in the fourth quarter that in the paint that kind of swung it. But I really wanted the Blazers when Zion came back to have a five point lead. Cause I knew Zion was going to swing it at least plus three. And we only had a three uh, point lead when he came in. So I knew it was going to get kind of hairy, but the way that they ran that pick, pick and roll and Dame went to the uh, weak side where only Josh Hart was in the uh, area and then forced Josh to make a decision. Because I think if Josh went to help, he would have kicked it to Gary Trent. So we really put him in a lose, lose situation was really smart by Dame to just go away from all that potential help and just drive the lane. I think the the Wizards game, we were hitting our shots. We were, everybody was doing well. So it was kind of like a negative regression. Yes, there were points in time where, oh, we, uh, we should be winning, but we're not. Some of the stuff is rooming out. There was a lot of shots that we took that we normally make, but missed. 
sometimes it's just the way the basketball gods go. So I, I didn't really feel like, oh, this is such a disappointment. I was like, well, it's part of the game. We were really hot for a week. Some negative regression is bound to happen. I know it's against a bad team, and that sucks, but you got to just kind of uh, move on to the next one. And we have a we have a game on Monday, so it's not like we can be sad or think about like this this L that we took by the Washington Wizards. It's just regression happens. We miss some shots. We rushed some shots. We took some very bad rush shots. Time to move on to the next one. Yeah, I felt like this was a classic Blazers week where they get your hopes up. You start winning without your second and third best players. You're playing above your heads. And then you come home where you haven't been protecting home court and you let a team come in and out hustle you. I mean, you only Robin score. Lopez was huge. Robin Lopez was, was the X factor. We had nobody who could bang with him down low. I mean, it sure would be nice if we could sign a 10 day contract for another body, but you know, that makes too much sense. So let's not even uh, consider that, but the Portland trailblazer shot like 37% from two. Uh, We missed so many shots at the rim. We missed seven free throws. Uh, We shot a franchise record. I think 53 three-point field goals, which is just asinine when they were all rushed and the offense got really predictable. And I think the rotations got messed up a bit. Uh, We went into the first quarter with a 12-point lead going into the second. Dame got a seven-minute rest, which was pretty long considering we had two days off before that game. However, after going into the third quarter or leaving the third quarter with a three-point lead, Terry was really quick to put Dame back in there. I distinctly remember texting. I was like, yeah, he's probably going to give him at least three minutes. Dame was in there after two minutes and 19 seconds. So that's even quick by my standards. Uh, he could tell the, the gas light was uh, on empty and we didn't really have much left in, in the tank. And you saw the offense really start to stagnate and bog down. It looked like Portland was just going to run Dame up top and they might send a high pick and roll. He may see Ennis open in the middle of the floor off of that. But why I was so concerned personally is because it's a carbon copy of every time the Blazers lose, you can pretty much pinpoint it. Okay. Did they take bad shots? Yes. Did they get predictable on offense? Yes. Do they have an answer for when teams double Dame? No, I don't know why Terry Stotts continues to not address this. And it's not being anti-Terry or fire Terry. We are very realistic. I think we see things very objectively on this podcast. He had done an amazing job up to this game. And, and I will say that as someone who is not a huge Terry Stotts supporter. However, when you have Robin Lopez and Hachimura and Westbrook just just hounding Lillard at, at the top of the key. You can't just have four other Blazers stand on the perimeter. Someone has to flash to the middle of the floor. Someone has to become an outlet. You have to make the Washington Wizards play some defense, which they really don't want to do. However, we saw the Blazers stand around, jack up bad shot after bad shot, and really we allowed the Washington Wizards to to take that game from us and. It's, it's frustrating because I feel like we've seen this same song and dance before. We saw it in the 2018 season when we went on that 13-game win streak only to get swept. We saw it in the 2019 season. 
Um, the Blazers feel like they, and we saw it last year when Dame went on that historic tear. Can this team play sustained basketball at a high level? Right now, it seems like we're doing it in seven to 10 day chunks, but then we regress. And you mentioned regressing to the mean, and that's exactly what we did. But the elite teams don't do that. They stay consistently strong. And this road trip, I think, is going to tell me a lot about this team, regardless of whether we have CJ McCollum or Yusuf Nurkic, because we had praised the defense on the previous episode, Sage. However, we both... um made a note that it was against teams that we match up well with philosophy wise and strategically. Like we play the post really well, uh, post paint, uh, paint beasts. We do really good job of kind of taking them out of that or giving them what they want. If you're not going to shoot the three, we'll be okay with that. The wizards were really able to just go downhill, put their heads down and, and attack the paint. They, they shot poorly from three, but we have no point of attack defenders. And you, you've mentioned that quite a bit. So I feel like we, we got exposed. And I think it's also a good reminder that yes, we're playing well without two of our three best players. And we're seeing some feel good performances this year for, from Amphorn. He's having a bounce back season. Gary shooting the shit out of the basketball, but it's important to not fall in love with our players. Like outside of Damian Lillard, I think Neil O'Shea should always keep an eye open for how he can improve the team. And I think I fell victim. I, I fall victim to this all the time. You know, I am a diehard fan. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. When right before the trade deadline last year, for example, is when Dame made that push. Hassan was playing his best basketball as a season and as a, as a blazer, I was like, okay, let's keep him around. And I knew we wouldn't get a lot for him. Mm. Um, Andre and, Drummond. Exactly. For literally nothing. And he, but I was still thinking better. let's keep us on. Like he's going to keep this production up. And once we get Nurk back, it's all going to be great. Well, Hassan didn't keep that production up. And so it's important to take a, a long-term approach. And when you're looking at these players, look, look at their resumes, their entire resume, not just what have you done for me lately? And look at the entire body of work because Sage, there are going to be some uncomfortable decisions that the front office is frankly going to have to make. I don't know if they're going to make them at the trade deadline. I don't know if it's going to be in, in the summer, but we we've talked about this. We're getting great production from Cantor and Trent that's where we're getting McCollum and Nurkic back. Yes. Those two players are better than what we have currently, but we kind of have an unbalanced roster and, you know, we're already starting to hear rumors, whether it's the Knicks are interested in CJ McCollum or teams are keeping a close eye on Anthony Simons, whatever that may be. March 25th is slowly creeping up, which is the the trade deadline for this um, abnormal season. So it's, it's going to it's going to be interesting to see because to me I think it's it's a buyers market. You've got so many franchises out there with the play in format introduced that think they have a chance. Owners want that extra revenue from the television. Um they what making the playoffs for some franchises is is the goal. I mean, they put that feather in their cap. I mean, you look at the Kings, they haven't made it since 06. The the Wolves have made it like one time in the past 15 years. Uh it, the Hornets, yeah. I mean, the Suns haven't made it since their their Western Conference Finals appearance in 2010, so it means a lot. 
and you only have a couple of franchises that are kind of sinking right now. And so it's going to make it very difficult to see any sort of move. So that's something just to keep an eye on. I don't know if this season really is an open audition for what the roster could look like next year, but I still think it's important that Neil Olshay keeps the foot on the pedal because this is still a year in Damian Lillard's prime and you have to explore every avenue that puts the best possible team around him. Yeah, I think that you have to stay very uh, willing to listen to everything that happens and be willing to make some difficult decisions. I don't think they're going to make any franchise-altering C.J. McCollum trades uh, this year, but I, I think that we should be willing to try and build something that works with the stars that we have. And I, I just don't see Neil O'Shea as a person being able to accept the fact that I fucked up. We put too much salary in uh, similar positions. Let's try and make a move this off or this, this uh, trade deadline with how 2020 and 2021 is going could absolutely happen. But if, if I was to, uh, if I was a betting man, which if you look at my top shot account and my DFS accounts, I very much am, I'd be willing to bet that we make like a, uh, a trade where we two for one type of deal. Cause I don't think it's going to be the big, I don't think it's going to be the big one this year. I think that that big trade happens in the off season. Yeah. And you never want to trade a superstar mid season. You just never get the value. Look what James Harden is like, look, look what look we got the, for Clyde Drexler in the summer of, or the, the Valentine's day of 95. We got back a first round pick and Otis fucking Thorpe for a first ballot hall of famer that delivered them a championship. Yes, we did right by Clyde and God, I can't believe we didn't get more than one first round pick, but every time a, a star is traded midseason, it is always for it's pennies always on the lows. dollar. Yeah, exactly. It, off season trading. You're at the all time high. Every team has this optimism. Like this is our year to make the playoffs. Let's Every team's focused it. on exactly. improving the roster. When you're in the season, you're maybe you're thinking about okay, how are we developing players? Mm-hmm. Are we March making March 25th? Push? You think the Pelicans are going to be trying to trade away, like to get assets, or are they trying to trade away Lonzo or JJ? Like, you know, there's 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 teams that are, have decided, oh shit, this is a player development year. Thank God for rookie scale contracts. I, I think that selling CJ now is selling him at his all-time low. I also think the Blazers would be doing a disservice by moving McCollum or Trent this 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 year. I think you need to move DJ to the bench. Trent has earned a starting spot. We have to at least see what we look like With starting mm-hmm. Dame, CJ, Gary, Robert, and Yusuf. I mean, what, what have we talked about ad nauseum over the past two years on this podcast age? The Blazers' best five lineup. Can we actually see them on the floor? I mean, we, I remember talking about after the Western Conference Finals. Okay, going into next year, we're really excited. We could potentially see Dame, CJ, Hoodie, Sat Collins, Nurkic. We have not seen them one second Made together on the floor. <laughs> exactly. So I think the Blazers have to have a good level of self-awareness this trade deadline, and they need to take a, not a long-term outlook, because again, Dame's clock is ticking, 
but you don't have to be super short-term with some players. Now, other players I think you could move off of. Gary is one where you know he's going to get a massive contract offer. You probably want to accept that. However, going into the offseason, you want to know, Gary is our starting three, or, okay, we need to make a decision between Gary or CJ. Like, you need to have a better grasp on that decision. It's just like studying for a midterm. You got to put in all of the time before you take the test. The test isn't going to come until the, until the summer. Neil and Terry need to put in the time right now, and they need to kind of figure out what, what's going to work. And I also think Yusuf Nurkic is on that that list as well. I'm thinking of all the Twitter memes saying, like, ability is availability. But it's true. Like, he has had major injuries for three out of the four years he's been on the team. So, yeah, Nurkic is definitely somebody under review, and it's a lot about, you know, him being able to play. I don't know if you have this on your five, but do you notice that DJJ doesn't really pick up stats when he's in the on the court? Like he plays good defense, but it doesn't lead to actual factual stats. He kind of outside of playing defense is just on the court. And I know it's a misutilization of Derek Jones Jr., but have you noticed him not really being part of the offense at all? Like it's a bad stat to look at that for this, but I looked at uh fantasy points per minute to look at like, what is he producing? And that's one of the, it's like the second lowest on the team past like guys that you just don't even think should be on the court. So it, it's really odd to see how DJJ is contributing to this team. And I know he is contributing because of his defense and you know, those hustle stats, but those hustle stats are very difficult to get consistently. Robert Covington did something amazing statistically with his uh, with his defensive stats, and he and Kristaps Porzingis were the only ones to ever do it. So, you know, relying on your defensive stats to produce is really weird. But, you know, as as you look at what Gary Trent has been offering, it's like, oh, he's providing offense and defense. I don't know. It, it was like my brother talked to me about like Gary Trent, and then that discussion led to DJJ, and I was like, whoa, he really doesn't contribute unless it's defensively or scoring i would agree prior to this week this week i i think we're starting to see dj start to find his groove he had he definitely had made a bigger impact back-to-back 13 and 7 games against the thunder and the pelicans and then he had 11 and 9 against the wizards um just look at he had a huge play in the fourth quarter against the pelicans um Dame broke down the defense, got the ball into. Um, yeah, he was, when Zion gave up the uh, backdoor cut lob. Yep, DJ got the ball, and then he just put put it put it put it in. Like I, I think we're starting to utilize a player uh, of his of his skill set. It's better, um, but it's still not enough to warrant starting. I just think Gary Trent Jr. is a a better player. Um, that's not to say DJ's is a bad player, but Gary right now is giving you a little bit more. Um, I'd like, I, I like the starting lineup that we have right now. I think you get a nice mix of shooting and slashing. And I think that's what, what you're going to need. Um, but you talk about the defense. I mean, I think DJ has been, been everywhere. That block on Bradley Beal in the fourth quarter was absolutely sick. I mean, how many players can legitimately size up the league's leading score and while Bradley Beal is on his way down, DJ is still ascending to spike that basketball. 
Um, he had a couple of incredible blocks um, in that Dallas game. I know we discussed that Dallas game last week, but he had some incredible blocks from the backside. Um, he is somebody, he's one of our best defenders. He, he and Covington, like that's what they get paid for. I mean, you look at Draymond Green, PJ Tucker, they're not going to put up stats, but they're out there and their presence is felt. And I think he only elevates the defense. We honestly need more players like Derek Jones. Like, I don't think you need a lot of guys who are going to get a lot of usage. I mean, if we had a halfway decent lob passer, he'd get three or four lob dunks a game. Like the back door is open. We saw that last year when Nasir Little was playing alongside Damian Lillard doing that streak. He was just running the baseline base baseline to baseline. We were actually throwing him the ball for, you know, lob dunks, bounce passes, finishing at the rim. It's there. Dame draws a lot of attention, pulls the defense just towards him. He's like the, a magnet out on that court. So if you move, there should be open space. And that's why it was so frustrating against the Wizards when everybody was just kind of, you know, standing around. I, I think the whole standing around thing is part of the Blazers' youth. And they don't they haven't played enough to... I mean, they have played enough, but not at this level to, oh, shit, Dame's in trouble. Let me move. Or I, I think that that's that part of. I think Nasir gets it every time he's I but see him outside to Nasir the played seven minutes, though. It's and that, that's enough. another problem yeah. that we need to discuss. Why is Nasir Little not getting playing time, Sage? Like, I would argue that he's more consistent than Carmelo Anthony. I'm not saying he's better, but when he's out there, They're in the first, they provide value differently. They do provide value differently, but while Melo may win you some games, I don't think Nasir is going to lose you some games like like Carmelo does. And again, Melo is Melo. We we discussed that in depth last podcast for the value of his contract. You're getting a great deal. The bigger question might be why is Rodney Hood yeah, that, that, getting that's, that's that's right there getting Nasir Little's minutes? Either a we're trying to boost Hoodie's trade value. Uh, because his second year is non-guaranteed. Very tradable. Got Extraordinarily very tradable, tradable. $10 million contract right in that sweet spot. B, you're trying to boost his confidence. Or C, Terry Stotts has no idea what he's doing. I, I, I don't know. because I think this it's is, a little bit of A and B. Yes, I would hope so. Because if I'm being honest and we do move CJ or Gary in the offseason... Nasir Little, to me, could start. I have that much confidence in his development. From what I've seen from Summer League to now is night and day. The shot looks good, confident, smooth mechanics. Looks like it's easily uh, sustainable over the time, over repetition. He hustles. He's easily our most energetic player on the floor. He has the body to become a great defender and he moves well without the basketball. You can tell the intelligence is high on the basketball court. Um, there's a reason he was a five-star prospect. McDonald's All-American. Like we got a steal. And I, I think it's time to start to unleash him a little bit more. Like we could see more of those 30-point performances. Um, he's coming in there and he's he's shooting right off the bat. Like he's not even hesitating. That's something you'd love to see as a young player. You know, we talked about this. Portland has a good problem. We have a lot of good players. We just need to find time for them. He is one that I think should be high on that pecking order of, okay, what do we have to do to keep him on the floor? Because right now it is mind-boggling why he is not playing. 
I think I think Rodney Hood's a speed bump for him. And he's the, he's a vet. He's been highly successful for us in the past. I mean, I know that's the past, but you know, there's there's moments where Rodney Hood looks like the Rodney Hood of old, and then there's some moments where Rodney Hood doesn't. And I, I think I think the decision point on Rodney Hood is going to help alleviate the uh, speed bump in the uh, the two the three through four position group. I think Melo will always have his his minutes, but if Rodney Hood could get traded for something, Gary Trent and uh, Nazir would uh, be the main benefits of that extra minutes. Yeah, and, and it's a bummer too. I, I love Rodney Hood. He was one of my favorite players on that Western Conference Finals team. Absolutely destroyed Jamal Murray in in the post and hit that huge three during game three, that four-overtime thriller. Was on an absolute tear last season before tearing his his Achilles. And, you know, it's been about 15 months since, and he he's showing some glimpses. He had mm-hmm. that great... Uh, step through an elevation jump. I th- dunk. I think it was against Dallas. The Spurs game was absolutely like all hoodie. I still think he can play, but you mentioned again. It, it kind of just comes down to contract. He is the he has he has our most realistic contract to move. It's Ten million dollars. Tradable thing that we have right now. Easily. Right now is is that sweet spot. You can get a a former lottery pick. They they make enough. You can get a, a mid level exception type of player. Uh, you can package it with a with a Zach another, Collins. Yeah, another thing yeah. to get something. But it, it, it's Neil Shea's best moves was to give him that type of contract that is inherently extraordinarily tradable. One thing you touched on that I had highlighted was Robert Covington and his defense. Um, the blocks have been absolutely crazy. Uh, you go to the OKC game; he has six blocks. Uh, the, the next night in New Orleans, going up against Zion Williamson, uh, four more blocks, and then against the Wizards, another four-block performance. He's getting multiple steals. He's hitting threes at a high clip. Um, just being an incredibly smart defender, it just seems like every week we keep talking about him, and he continues to elevate his play. I remember just three, four weeks ago thinking, man, we overpaid for Covington, giving up two picks in the Reese's contract. And now you're like, okay, this is the type of reduction you expect when you give up a contract of Ariza size and two first round picks. Like well, you, you expect you, this production. You you mentioned it earlier with the whole regression to the mean, and you totally can look at Robert Covington's abilities and see that oh, he he's still a very good player. He's going to regress to the mean. I, I remember the the game against the Sixers. When JoJo would try and post him up, he would just pull the chair on him every every time he posted up. Robert would pull the chair. I mean, that's the only way that he could play defense realistically on Joel Embiid. But it's really smart that he was just frustrating him by pulling the chair and having JoJo have to reset himself. Robert Covington's been huge for multiple multiple games, and now he's consistently uh, looking good offensively, which makes everybody happy. With what we've seen so far, Sage, we are now 29 games into this 2021 NBA season. Do you think with McCollum and Nurkic returning, the elevated play of Jones and Covington, does this team have the personnel to be a top 15 to 20 defense? 
because right now Probably. our defensive our defensive rating is 28th out yeah, of 30. God awful. So are we just and we say we from, allow 26 most points in the league? Are we going to just say we're throwing out every bit of playing time before they return and then judging it? Because I don't think we're going to bring up the 28th worst team to the 15th. But at that time frame, it's absolutely possible. It's just we gotta we we gotta hope that Nurk's ready to roll. And I know that you know it's not a leg injury, it's not a lower body injury, so he is working out. So hopefully, when he returns, he can play at a high level. I think that it's it's a, it's a chance. I I would bet against it if I'm gonna be real. But there's absolutely a chance that they become an average defense. They have the personnel. It's just about continuity and really knowing and trusting each other. And have we have has Nurk been able to develop that trust with Robert and and DJJ? We we don't have that. Uh, we don't know that. So it's it's hard to make that that claim that they will be an average defense, but they have the personnel to do it. So it's absolutely possible. Because I think if they have any any visions of making a Western Conference run, they have to be better defensively. It has to start on the defensive end, and I you know have to be we're Brooklyn Nets good offensively for us to rely on such dog and even defense. even the brooklyn nets are bringing the defense they they swept the lakers and the clippers uh and they clamped up the clippers tonight so they're, they're starting to bring it on that end of the floor portland just has to be better and i know we're kind of playing with one hand tied behind our backs right now with with ennis Cantor being our only big and one thing i thought the blazers did poorly against the wizards was they decided to blitz Bradley Beal a lot. We, we we went into that game saying, okay, Beal is not going to beat us. And I think that's a good strategy. I just thought it was executed poorly. We brought Ennis Cantor up to blitz and he got out there. And for whatever reason, he wasn't able to hold any sort of boundary on Beal. Beal just split the defense at ease. And then it he was gets so skinny remarkably skinny to break that. I I think any one of us could have dribbled past that because it it was open every time. It was a four on three underneath the foul line or underneath the three-point line extended, and we were on our heels. Whereas you look at a guy like Robin Lopez, he was able to contain the boundary, and Dame was, was trapped. So I think we need to, again... I'm glad we're showing ad- adapting and flexible defenses in, in our schemes, but we have to play to our personnel. Mm-hmm. Like Ennis Cantor will never be a big that you can bring up past the foul line and try and stay with a, a guard. Like he, you got to keep him in the corner. In the league. Yeah, you got to keep in him fact. in the corner or you got to keep him down low in the post. Um, I don't know if we could afford to leave him in the corner though, because we need rebounds and he's the only legitimately good rebounder. But he's not getting rebounds, getting yeah. burnt. I mean, he was, yeah, he was all the way out to three-point line. Yeah. So that, that's a, that's what I would say there. I noticed that that quite a bit, and it just it put a lot of stress I mean, on, on our defense. Westbrook and, like, that team is really built to take advantage of our weaknesses not having the best defender moving because Russell Westbrook's going to put pressure on you every single time. That's what Russell Westbrook does that's great is put that pressure and the aggression against you. So if you can't, you're not fleet of foot to dissuade Russ from getting into his his sweet spots. It's a really tough ask, and Brad Beal is just so damn good, and we weren't hitting. So it's a it was a it was a recipe for disaster against a, a very 
subbed up an old team. But moving on, I think the biggest talk of the week was Damian Lillard not being named an all-star starter. I think it didn't come as a surprise if any of you are familiar with how the voting uh, shakes out. Luca was always going to finish in the top two of the fan voting. That's 50%. And it is also the tiebreaker. Dame beat him both in the media and in the player voting, but didn't uh, surpass Steph. So they each basically were tied. Luca got the the fan vote uh, tiebreaker. It, it's kind of a bummer um, for me, Sage. I know it's maybe not as much for you, but I know it's just a superficial thing. The Blazers just haven't had a starter since Drexler in the early 90s. Uh, Portland is such a small market. It would have been really cool. Uh, Dame's having the best year of his career, and it's almost like, okay, what else do you want him to do? He has a better record than than Steph and Luca. Numbers are similar. Hitting game winners on a nightly basis, doing so with a depleted roster. At a certain point, you just kind of you like, is the game rigged? I mean, yeah. Dame knows what the deal is. He's going to use this as a as another motivating factor. I I, I personally don't care. Um, he's going to be an all-star. That's that, that's all that I really care about. Uh, he's going to use this as a good motivating factor and shit on the league a little bit more. So I, 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 I understand everybody's frustrations and annoyances with the NBA voting process, but it just isn't a, a big factor in my life to uh, complain about it. I, it's a bummer, but he's, yo. If he gets MVP, I could care less. I could give a hot fuck if he uh, are all-star start or not. Doesn't matter. If we if he wins the MVP, it's just a blip on the radar. I I I, I don't I I don't go off. I, I'm not upset about it. But go off, King. I will go off. Thank you. So Dame has had four straight thirty-point, ten assist performances. This week he was pretty marvelous. You go back to Oklahoma City, thirty-one points. 10 assists, seven rebounds, um, just came alive for four straight threes. I mean, over Lou Dort, who was a first team, all, all NBA type of defender. If you ask me, um, just hitting ridiculous shots, backs it up the next night on a back-to-back in a game in which they had to stay overnight in OKC arrived three hours prior to tip off at smoothie King arena drops a cool 43 and 16, uh, including seven of 16 from downtown. He had the game winning and one uh, was playmaking down the stretch. And Didn't he have 16? For, yeah, 40, 43 and 16. Didn't have enough of them that night. What? We won that game. I didn't have enough of them in daily fantasy that night. Oh, well, that's a different story. And then he has 35, 12 and six. Yes, he shoots just 10 of 30, but he hit seven threes, got to the line eight times, hit all of them. And was actually pretty vocal about the officiating. Thought he got hit a couple of times and says it's been a consistent uh, consistent miss by the officials. And, I mean, I, I'm i not one to uh, doubt Dame, especially after watching Bradley Beal just run right into him at the end of that game and no whistle was called. Yes, the game was probably in hand, but we've seen stranger things happen. That probably would have put Portland down by five after two Lillard free throws. You got about 30 seconds left. Hell, we've done more with less in Chicago this season. So um, kind of rough, but not the reason we lost. But back to Dame. 
He is averaging 30 points per game on the dot, third in the league, 7.9 assists, 10th in the league. His per is over 27. Uh, that's fifth best in the entire association. And he's doing so without his backcourt running mate and his starting center. Sage, where do you have Damian Lillard on in your MVP? What's, what's your top five right now? Because I think with the way he's playing, this needs to be a regular segment on, on our weekly podcast. Like, what, what is your MVP ladder this week? Who's your top five? He's definitely top five. I would, I'm just saying names and I'll think of the order later, but Joker, I would say LeBron, Dame, JoJo. I feel like that's the top four in my mind. And if we wanted to add a five, guess Luke, I don't know. I, I, that's my top four. And then I'm sticking with it. Yeah, I, I really think it's it's a, it's a three-man race at the moment. Um, I think you could put them in any order, and you're probably right any which way. I, I think the top two right now are between Lillard and LeBron. Uh, both of those players have a narrative for them. LeBron just lost Anthony Davis. He's really been talking about winning the MVP. You're hearing the media saying he's going to bully them into voting them for the MVP. It's going to take a lot for somebody to dethrone LeBron as this year's MVP. I think that's quite obvious to any NBA observer. However, the Lakers have dropped uh, two in a row, and I I don't know how much LeBron's going to want to push for this rather than pull back and save some stamina for his his postseason run. Dame's just been incredible, uh, but he's going to need to continue to play at this level because he is starting to get some segments on, on ESPN. Uh, Chris Haynes is tweeting about him. Uh, you got Stephen A up in arms that he's not a starter. That comes with pressure. And so we need to see how the Blazers respond. And then I think number three, I've got Joel Embiid. He's playing fantastic basketball. The Sixers are leading the East. I have a hard time putting somebody in the Eastern Conference ahead of anybody in the West just because the competition is so poor in the west it's a dogfight on, on a nightly basis that the east is just it, it, it's awful uh i think the nets are starting to get it together but overall they've been a, a major disappointment i've got Jokic, as you mentioned for the statistics are great that team's just been gutted a bit and they're underachieving and then five i mean I, you could really throw in anybody right now you could throw in james harden uh kevin durant's been hurt unfortunately so i think harden maybe it's just a rotating brooklyn net because they're starting to to turn it up right now. And the Warriors are on a decline a bit and the Mavericks just haven't won enough games for me to feel comfortable putting Luca. So that's my five. I feel good about where Dame is at right now, but I want to talk about the MVP voting and how it impacts the team on a whole, because I was texting you on Friday and I was like, okay, if we beat the wizards, I kind of want to talk about this. Like, is this going to elevate our, our team's play? Because, you know, we saw after that road trip, all of the Blazers on social were tweeting like, you know, Dame's MVP, uh, he's got my vote, you know, all, all of the superlatives. And I thought it would kind of make them raise their play. Like, I think you said it on the very first podcast of this season, something about, you know, pressure can either build diamonds or, or you know, break them. Bus, I, bus pipes or uh, create diamonds. John Connor it, quote. Exactly. I and think I said it wrong, so it's a my quote, but it was it was uh, originally from John Connor. I mean, e- either way, like I thought it was going to create diamonds. Like everyone's like, okay, if Dame's really the MVP, we have to keep winning. We got to elevate our own play. Unfortunately, it looked like we came out a little tight, uh, lacking a little energy, 
And it could go the other way. Like all of this, like Portland's not known for getting the national attention. We are much better as the hunter rather than the hunted. Uh, we like to sweep, you know, swoop under the radar. We're not very good when everybody talks about us. I mean, God, everybody was like, the Blazers are going to upset the Lakers in the, in the first round. Like nobody wants to see the Portland Trailblazers last year. Well, LA kind of disbanded us in five. Yeah. I mean, he, they did step up. I would say the first four games of this road trip, they the 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 tertiary guys stepped up and played really well. It just happens that we record on Sunday and Saturday, those guys were kind of in the basement of their production. But I would say but I would notice the, four, the first three games of the slate or this week. Wow, I'm too DFSing. But uh the first few games of this 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 slate, it was they were stepping up and playing well. It just happens that you wanted to talk about it after a win, and that that wasn't part uh, that wasn't in the cards. Well, the reason I wanted to talk about it is because I noticed the uptick in the MVP conversation after that game in New Orleans when he had forty three and sixteen out dueled Zion in New Orleans on a back to back. The storyline was there, like it was significant coverage for a Portland Trailblazer in the national media. So that's where it really sparked. It's like, okay, now everyone is really hearing this. It's not just like, oh, we know we're good. Maybe the the local media is talking about Dame for MVP. Uh, Jason Quick maybe mentioned it as a little uh, story a week or so ago. But now everyone is kind of having that. Like Dame was the the topic du jour for the week after Wednesday, and he controlled the the, the storylines for forty eight hours. And that's why I wanted, that's why I thought this Wizards game was more relevant to the topic of of pressure than the the other three. The other three games on the road trip, I kind of felt like we went in with uh, house money and we were just going to, you know, nobody expects us to win. We're going to go, you know, just take care of business and get out of there. Nobody's going to notice us. We're going to quietly creep up the standings. Not, not the case anymore. People are taking notice of the Blazers and Maybe it was a case of just having enough night. Maybe it was a little bit of pressure. Who knows? I think it's a conversation and a topic to revisit on a weekly basis because we're still without CJ and Nurkic for, you know, a couple more weeks at, at least. So we're going to need other players to to step up, quite frankly. Absolutely. And, you know, it, it's – I think they have. And I think that that game was an aberration of everybody hitting their basement uh, – amount of production that game i, I mean i sure hope so because it, it felt like classic blazers where man they get my hopes up and i'm so excited for the game and then you just walk you're like god damn it blazers well every time i i try to pull away they reel me they reel me back in they reel me back in them teasing you is gonna make when we win a championship that much more uh sweet so be okay with the the, the tease that the blazers uh, perform on you in these games that are meaningless in the grand scheme of shit. Cause it, you know, it's a February game. I mean, they all I, matter, my man. I know they do, but I mean, we, you talked to me about the rotations of that wizards game and I'm like, well, the, the, we, he got a rest and he didn't get a rest. You know, that it's, it's kind of like the, I would rather lose this game if we can win some more in in uh, uh, March or April. So it, it's it is what it is. We uh, we 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 lost that one. It's all, it's all good. We got to move on to the Suns and the the Lakers Nuggets, and I think the 
Yeah. So the reason why the Wizards game was so crucial is because Portland is now up against their toughest three-game stretch of the season, all three on the road. Monday, Tuesday, back-to-back at the Red Hot Suns and the Denver Nuggets, which is always a tough place to play, especially on the second night of a back-to-back. And then Friday night, nationally televised game against LeBron and the Lakers in Staples Center. Uh, I think this could be a statement road trip for the Portland Trailblazers. And it kind of reminds me of a road trip the Blazers took in March of 1990. Uh, That was a year where Portland came out of nowhere, acquired Buck Williams. We were a seventh or eighth seed in 89, got swept out of the first round. However, we ended up that road trip 43 and 18, you know, fighting for the second or third seed in, in the West and nobody really took us seriously. We went out on the road, and this was back before social media, back before really real-time coverage. A lot of these Eastern folks were reading about the Blazers in the paper the morning after. We went East Coast four games in five nights. We beat the Knicks, the Celtics, the 76ers, and the Bullets. The Knicks, Sixers, and Celtics ended up as the three, four, and five seeds in the East that year. Uh, to do that four and five nights, uh, that really cemented that Blazers team as a legit title contender. Everyone took them seriously after that. Now I know we're still in the first half of this season, but this is going to be a good test. You know, everyone can look back at the Blazers and say, okay, you're just beating teams that you're supposed to. You have you don't really have a, a lot of signature wins on, on your on your schedule. If you go up against a great opponent, you know, you've kind of got your butt handed to you. You look back at the Utah Jazz in opening night or the Clippers or the Bucks. So there are valid points, but there are also points where, you know, we're just trying to stay afloat, Sage. And I remember looking at the schedule, knowing CJ and Nurkic would be out through the first half of, of the season and thinking, man, if we could just end up 20 and 15, I would take that. Well, we're one win away from getting 20 and we got six games left to go. That seems pretty doable, but again, with winning comes expectations. And when you beat Philadelphia twice in a week, you go three and zero on the first road trip uh, of the of the month. Now you start to feel bad if you only end up twenty and fifteen. So I think this is a big three game trip. I don't think anybody's really expecting three and zero, especially missing what we're missing. But zero and three, I think, really sets you back here, Sage. I think it may do some some damage psychologically. Um, I think the team needs a good boost heading into these three home games. We got to close up the first half of the season. I just think they need to not prove it to themselves because I think they know who they are, but it would be nice to kind of put the league on notice that, okay, yeah, we're this good. And we got reinforcements coming because I don't think the goal for the Blazers is just to make the playoffs. I don't think the goal is even just to get out of the first round. You want to be, at the very least, the number one contender to the defending champs in the conference. I, I think that's that's really all you can realistically ask for because you can't be the champs until you take the crown off of their head. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get a chance to do that on Friday. But let's first talk about the Phoenix Suns. And Sage, this is a team that is beyond clicking right now. They're every... They're everything I thought they would be 
in the preseason. I had them, I think, fourth or fifth in the West. Um, they are on an absolute tear. They've won 11 of their last 13. They just absolutely destroyed the Pelicans 41 to 12 in the fourth quarter in New Orleans. Followed that up with a you know, 30 point shellacking of the Grizzlies in Memphis. And they are exactly one game ahead of Portland in the Western Conference standings. They have no injuries right now, they're clicking. And one of their losses was a 24 point. Uh, they blew that game against the the Brooklyn Nets without Harden and, or excuse me, without Irving and Durant. So um, they are really close to being on a 13 game win streak of their own. So this is probably, I think, the hottest team in the entire NBA. And the Blazers, A, I think are playing better on the road this year than at home. And B, I feel more comfortable when they're going up against a quality opponent because there's no chance of them not being mentally prepared to play this game. Yeah, I mean when when you're when you're about to play Chris Paul, you can't really underestimate one of the best point guards in our in our generation, or probably the best point guard in this this generation or, or his own generation. Would you consider him an older like what generation of point guard is Chris Paul? Chris Paul, I mean, dude, he's been at least since 05. That's six. Yeah. He's old. He's old. He's he's still very, very good, though. The best point guard of the millennium. Yeah. Like, he, he, is, he, ain't, he ain't better than Magic, though. Let's, let's not get crazy. There are some few years that I would put up against Magic, but that's my own bias towards Chris Paul. My own Saves. bias tells Chris Paul. Um, the Phoenix Suns played really, really well. They're, they're hitting on all cylinders. You got players that are stepping up but let me look uh monty williams has gotten those guys clicking and playing really good ball it's 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 gonna be a very humongous test for us but uh, i think the biggest question for me is chris paul is the master of the pick and roll how are we going to defend that what did we what are we going to do with ennis Cantor? our are we going to switch it? Are we going to double him? Are, 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 what, what are we going to do? Um, because they do have a lot of shooters out there as well. Mm-hmm. And I think, the, I think that turnovers are going to be the biggest factor for the, the Blazers. The, uh, the Suns play at the, one of the slowest paces in the league, so it means that every possession is way, way more important because of, of pacing. You don't, want to throw, you don't want to take frivolous shots when you're going against a team like the Clippers or Boston or Phoenix because they punish you for it with their slower pace. I mean, the pick and roll between Chris and anyone is going to be really devastating. Maybe this is one of those games that uh, Terry just saves Ennis from himself because it could get really ugly with Chris Paul just taking advantage of a very slow-footed athlete. It's a damn shame we don't have any bigs that could replace him, but it could be really ugly for Ennis this game because Chris just eats up uh, opposing centers that can't defend this pick and roll. Um, This is, I think this is the toughest game of the, the, of the week just because of who the, the, the Suns have and how they can just attack, attack, attack our uh, major liabilities defensively. This is, I think this one's the, the, this is going to be the definite L that I give them. Maybe it's just not playing this that, that much. I don't, I don't know how you stop the Suns right now. You know, I think my X factor will be Robert Covington. If Portland does decide to go small or yeah. if they want to put Covington on Aiton and 
if they want to run the the one five pick and roll, we're able to switch that. Covington can stay out in front of Chris Paul. I think he's going to have to have one of his magical nights defensively, along with Derek Jones Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think this one is a loss. If we were fully healthy, I, I would feel much more better because we have multiple ways to hit them on the offensive end with CJ. I think Nurt gives us a different look. Um, even Harry would give us another look to to have, but. Do you fear um, DeAndre Ayton when when Nurkic is healthy? Because I, I I fear I, him now, but I don't fear him. I don't fear DeAndre Ayton at all. I, oh, I think no. that's yeah. He's uh, I had such high hopes for him, and he just looks very average. So um, I'm thankful Phoenix passed on him because they would be dominant. Could you imagine Luka? A Booker Luca? That oh, would be that. disgusting. Yeah. So I'm very thankful that didn't happen. Um, I'm honestly more worried about 36 year old Chris Paul. <laughs> The best generate a uh, best point guard of uh, the millennium, bro. Absolutely. Yeah. So it looks like we both have a loss. And if I had my way and I could reschedule these games, I would play Denver first and, and then go back to back against Phoenix. Because like you said, Phoenix is the toughest game on the trip. They're playing the best basketball. Denver is playing the worst basketball uh, of, of, of the three, they, they just can't seem to, to get right. Um, they're, they're losing games. They're, they're, they're not supposed to Jokic is, is going crazy, but I mean, I mean, there's is out. Um, like PJ Dozier's out They're They're, they're really light on guards right now. And I said uh, 16 and 14. I mean, they are, fighting to be in the play-in right now. Uh, Jokic is doing crazy things. Jamal Murray at 50 points without shooting a free throw, shot 21 of 25 against the Cavaliers on Friday night, which was absolutely insane. But that's the thing with Jamal Murray. He can do that, but then he could be completely irrelevant for the next four games. You know, Um, Michael Porter Jr. is uh, inconsistent as well. What, What about Murray? He reminds me of Ben Simmons. Not in how they actually play, but how they produce and can one game be extraordinarily dominant and then the next just chill. Like he's totally willing in regular season games to not be the alpha. And and then there's certain games where he's like, Oh fuck it. I'll try hard and dominate. But like he's making so much money for someone who's so inconsistent. And I know in any given day, he could say, fuck it. I'm, I'm, I'm going ham and can turn the tides, but it's way too many of those games where it's, average Jamal Murray and that's not winning you games in a very condensed weird season so Jamal's kind of been whatever this year Joker's been fantastic I mean Paul Millsap's hurt do we have an injury report on them because according to basketball reference Dozier Green Harris and Millsap were all out and uh, Gary Harris is did I did you mention Gary yes okay uh, Dozier Green Harris and Millsap all listed as out against the Hawks Tuesday is their next game. Um, my prediction really wavers on who's suiting up for Denver. They've been doing the Monte Morris, Jamal Murray backcourt. Uh, Gary Harris had like this weird game where he started and played minutes. And then the next game that he was out for four to six weeks, I believe. So it's been, it's been the um, Monte Morris, Jamal Murray show, or they played this Italian player named Compazzo. Yep. I uh, forgot his first name, but I've played him in DFS, so I should know. But so... No, it's Facundo. 
Yeah, so it, it's he might be one of the best passing point guards in the league, by the way. He's really fun to watch. But, yeah, they, they've been dealing with a lot of injuries, uh, uncertainty at uh, key positions. So I, I think the Blazers actually do win this game because of how you can't really count on those Denver depth players to even be there. And this might be a weird rotation. The X factor I have is stopping Jamal Murray. If he decides this is one of his games where he wants to dominate, we have to really make him uh, regret that decision with really good defense. Because I think Joker is going to get his get his uh, touches and do his thing, but Jamal Murray is kind of the X factor. If he's hot or if he wants to be hot, it could be a very long game for us. So I think it's stopping Jamal and letting Joker kind of run wild. But if, he, if Joker decides he wants to post up, I feel like we're very prepared for that. It's where he wants to operate in the perimeter where that it's got me very nervous about what can potentially happen. Yeah. I think my X factor is turning Jokic into an aggressive offensive player. Do not let him get guys like Porter jr. Will Barton, Monty Morris, uh, Zeke Naji, any of those players do not let him get them open looks and then they start rolling because Joker is an MVP caliber player. He can turn it on and off as he pleases. But once his role players get into a rhythm, that's when Denver becomes a whole different type of beast to deal with. So I think if we can limit Jokic's assists and assist opportunities, uh, we're going to be doing a, a just fine there on the other end of the, of the coin yeah. i think the blazers bench needs to outproduce the denver bench and i know it was preseason but when we went up there to play them twice we got absolutely blasted i mean guys like isaiah hartenstein were getting business he looked like a legit backup center just based up upon those two performances uh they couldn't miss um bull bull was getting in the game i'm sure he's not going to be playing in this one but they had their way with us. We need our bench guys to play a f- efficiently. And they, we didn't, you, you see the Blazers when we get bench production, we win. But when you, you get Anthony plays a little bit quiet, uh, Carmelo shoots us out of games. Um, Rodney doesn't give us anything offensively. Like what happened against Washington, we lose. However, look at that Philadelphia game in Portland. Carmelo just shot the lights out. So can we get a good Carmelo game? Can Anthony get us, you know, 12 to 15 points, um, Nasir or Rodney, what can they bring us? So I, I think it really has to be more than just Dame Lillard. Like Dame's going to have to have a huge night, but mm. we don't win unless we get production from the bench. So, oh and other God. Starters. Yeah. Um, I, I would attack Jokic defensively too. make him work defensively. So he doesn't have the energy to dominate offense. I mean, this really should be a game where where Dame gets what whatever he wants. There's no rim protection. There's no perimeter. Uh, there's no, no more Tory Craig. Even though we we kind of had our way with Tory Craig, he at least made us work for it. Uh, just just not there. there there's not a, a lot of depth there. So again, I really wish this game wasn't on the second night of a back to back because Denver's are ripe for the picking right now. And Dame really could get any look that he wants. So you're right. We need to attack. We can't settle for all these damn three point shots. I do not want to see us shoot more than 50, 50 threes. I mean, come on, let, let's attack the paint and get to the free throw line and let's slow the game down because you're playing at altitude. You're on the second night of a back-to-back. You need to find ways to conserve energy. Uh, 
Sage, you have us winning this game? Yeah, I have us winning this game. I, I attack attack Joker, make uh make him want to be an offensive demigod. And uh I think I think we get this one because both teams are hurt, but we have a guy that can just manufacture offense easier than Joker because I think it's gonna time. come down to the wire. It's probably gonna be a lot like the Dallas game or the New Orleans game. At the end, though, I'll put my faith in Dame. It is a nationally televised game. Um, hopefully, we are ready and prepared because we need this one. Denver's below us in the standings. Their division foe uh, would be great to go one up on them in the season series. And then we end the the week Friday night against the Lakers. Sage, no Anthony Davis. He's got the right Achilles uh, issue that's going to sideline him for three to four weeks at least. Um, Dennis Schroeder may be back. Uh, not sure there he's with the health and safety protocols. Um, but this is a team that looks very beatable. Um, yes, two good teams went in there and, and beat them, um, the Miami heat and the, the Brooklyn nets. But this, 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 this is the, probably it's asinine to say this is probably the most winnable game of, of the road trip. I mean, just look at what the Lakers have done. Like they went to OT against the Thunder twice when they didn't have their full allotment of players. They've made games against the Timberwolves. Like they they're they're not as dangerous as they uh, could be, and it's because Anthony Davis has Achilles tendinosis, which is different than tendinitis. Uh, tendinosis doesn't heal. So to I think this is where. They're way more beatable because look at the roster outside of LeBron James. Who scares you? Outside of Dennis Schroeder and AD, who you would assume are out. Does anybody on this roster outside of Anthony De- or of LeBron James scare you? I mean, I've seen Montrezl Harrell's outworked us plenty of times. Montrezl Harrell has played like garbage this year. But you you mentioned scare. Yes, yes. Montrezl yes. Harrell. Uh, KCP was lights out in, in the postseason. Um, you can't let Kuzma get open looks. They have Alex Caruso is a pest. And we saw a guy like TJ McConnell from the Pacers earlier, earlier this year, just destroy us with energy. So yeah, they have players that, and they have the best player in the world. So. I mean, those players are nice and they have produced in the past, but for whatever reason, Montrose Hale doesn't produce like he normally has. And I mean, Kuzma's high variance as fuck. This is the time that you want to play the Lakers because they're not playing as well because a top 10 NBA player isn't participating because he has a legitimate, seriously serious injury. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel it, it's a nationally televised game. It's in Los Angeles. People are going to be talking about it. Dame's showing up and showing out, and I think that the rest of those teammates are going to show out as well. And I think that we win this game. Dame loves playing the Lakers, especially in Los Angeles. We've mm-hmm. already beat them one time this year at Staples. Uh, I believe we're playing every Western Conference team uh, three times this year and Eastern Conference teams twice. So this would give us – and don't don't quote me this. I just kind of did the math when you subtract the – the 72 games from the 82, which we normally play. 
but this would give us the season series uh, basically o- over the Lakers and they could be on a mini free fall without Davis. And so it gives you a legitimate opportunity to see a team that's in front of you that, okay, we can catch and surpass them, uh, which would be absolutely huge uh, come playoff time. The Lakers still are the best defensive team in the league. It takes a hit without Anthony Davis there. No doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, but Anthony is like the 99th percentile outcome as a defender. Absolutely. But, it does, but they're still but good. They, still have LeBron and it'll be interesting to see how the Blazers decide to defend them because at Staples earlier um, in December, we basically shadowed Derek Jones with LeBron and Robert Covington with Anthony Davis without another Davis on the floor. I'm really interested to see how we utilize Robert Covington. I would love to see him almost as like a Swiss army knife and free safety. Like, is he, is he roaming? Is he doubling? Like, what is he doing? Because I feel like he has the ability to disrupt. Um, I'm my, my X factor. It's, it's a cop out, but it's Damian Lillard. He no, loves playing the Lakers. Cool. He's had so many big moments in that building. Um, but Portland has to also be prepared for MVP LeBron, because if they have the wizards on Monday, they go to Utah, the league's best, best team record wise on Wednesday, and then they play the Blazers on Friday. So Portland will actually have an extra day off going into this game. So more but, rest advantage. But you know LeBron's going to also want to make a statement too. He hears the chatter. He he wants the MVP. I mean, there's no denying that. So it's it could be an absolute showdown. I think if you're Portland, you cannot waste an opportunity. I know you're without CJ. I know you're without Nurk. But we're very fortunate we're getting the Lakers without Anthony Davis. Like, this is a Lakers team that is reeling right now. Can Portland put the pressure on them? Aside from Dame, look for Gary Trent to have a big night. He had 28 points early on in December against this this Laker team, just hitting all sorts of shots. He's going to be called upon to be our point of attack defender. Uh, Really hound. What's that? Melo's probably going to have it a game. And it, we're going to need production from from that bench, so it's yeah, going to take I, a team effort. But I think the Blazers do win. Like, okay, I was I was worried that your heart was was fighting against your brain on this for prediction. I mean, that, it's really difficult because in no way, shape, or form do I think we go three and zero or think that's realistic. I would be absolutely floored if that happens. But every other scenario wouldn't surprise me. Zero wins, one win, two win. Um, it, it's just a really interesting road trip because of the competition we're playing but we play better away from home but we're also without two of our top three best players but we also have mvp dame so it's just a really entertaining time to to be a blazer fan because every game feels like it's going to go down to the wire like we're not good enough to beat the shit out of even bad teams like we'll still beat them but we might not dominate but we're also not bad enough to just like oh we're going up against the top team I'd be pretty pissed if we got ran out of the gym by any of these teams, even Phoenix. Like we have been playing competitive basketball. So you tune in and you, you expect a a good game. So I think if you get two and one, even one win, I I think one win is the, would be fantastic because if you get one win Sage, you're sitting at 19 and 13 with three games left at home to close out that, that first half of the season and they're all winnable. You're looking at Charlotte, Golden State and Sacramento. If you can get into the All-Star break 22 and 13, you're probably still the 4th or 5th seed. And that would be absolutely incredible knowing you've got reinforcements coming in 
and you're only getting better. So if if we win one, what's that? It's the preferred spot, really, when you think about it. If Utah's okay, so here's here's why I'm yes, we're five back of Utah and there's still 35, 40 games left in the season. It's realistic you could catch them, but I think if you're looking and playing the odds, that's may not be realistic. And if if you really want to kind of think long-term and the Anthony Davis throws a big wrench in this because if, if he was healthy, it makes it a lot easier for the Lakers to stay two, three, but ultimately you'd want to play Phoenix in the four five, get Utah as the one seed. And then you play one of the LA teams in the conference finals, any scenario that gets the LA teams to play each other before the Western conference finals is ideal. However, I do think the Lakers are going to drop a bit and Portland is going to want to get out of that four or five. Cause I think LA is probably going to end up four or five. So you do not, I mean, that would be just heartbreaking to have a great season end up number four. And then your reward is playing the Lakers. So it's, it's fascinating to watch these standings play out and, and who to root for. But, um, I don't think anybody's catching the jazz. And I think you just got to hope everyone loses and you kind of rise too, because also the better record Portland has the easier narrative. It is for Damian Lillard to legitimately win the franchise's first MVP since 1978. That would be remarkable. Yeah. I think that if we project the Clippers and Lakers two, three, you want to be four five. Absolutely. Cause it's just, it's so much easier to go against the Utah Jazz who are playing fantastic. And Utah could lose to a team like Golden State in the first round. That wouldn't surprise me. Utah could lose to Dallas. That wouldn't surprise me. Like, you're really... that That's the best route for Portland. Yeah, I would be flabbergasted if the Clippers or the Lakers lose in the first round. I would. It, it could happen for the Jazz, but I would much rather if we... If, if we're going to seriously try and get this do well for Dame... I would love to be four or five, play the jazz in the second round. And then whatever happens, happens against whatever LA team is there. It's just such an easier route. It's a lot more projectable. It's a lot, you can see it, but if like we got the, or one of the LA teams, it'd be like, Oh shit, we're, we're going to have to, we're going to have to get lucky for some of these games. But uh, yeah, I, I think if we keep on this pace, everything's, everything's good. But uh, yeah, so we both have it as a two in one week. And is there anything else you want to talk about or are we going to wrap this bad boy up? Well, let's wrap this bad boy up and, you know, hope we get some some good Blazer news next uh, over the next three games. Because, like I said, even one win would be I, I would be absolutely thrilled with one victory this week. So let's just keep keep up. Keep up the hope. We're going to blow out the Suns and lose to the other two. That's going to be our projections are going to just be outlandishly wrong. All right. So you can hear us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays, 2 p.m. Uh, Pacific Eastern, 4 to 5. And if you listen this far, you're a real one. Like, comment, and uh, five star our uh, podcast on iTunes and leave a nice review. And uh, we will be back next week with some more. Blazers and Alice, thank you so much for listening, and we're out of here. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!